Hello and welcome to this episode of the Oasis Church podcast, featuring a talk from Bringing Life, our series exploring the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Together, we see how Joseph is someone who brings life to those around him, even in some tough situations. How his story points forward to Jesus, the ultimate life bringer, and how the invitation for each of us is to be those who bring life in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Ready? Here we go. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his his descendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise you, your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Hello everyone, it is fantastic to be with you again. Uh, My name is Rich and I'm going to be taking us through uh, this next part of our series exploring the life of Joseph and how, like Joseph, we can be those who bring life in whatever situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. And today's passage, uh, read out for us so well uh, by Anne just now, has skipped us ahead in the story a few chapters. We've moved from uh, chapter 41 last week up to chapter 45. And that's because 
the story has slowed down in that time and it's gone into a lot of detail to bring us to the point of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers that we've just heard. And you can read the story uh, for yourself later on in Genesis 42 uh, to 44. But essentially, what happened is that Joseph hides himself from his brothers. They don't recognize him. And he sets a test for them. He recreates the conditions at the very start of the story that we heard about right back in January of what his brothers did to him. Only this time it's leading to a crescendo moment where the youngest brother, Benjamin, stands condemned of stealing silver. And the brothers are forced to revisit all over again their past failures. They find themselves in a position where a brother has been taken from them, where they're forced to confront their father once again with the news that one of their number hasn't returned, to see his grief, to hear his pain at seemingly losing a son. They're left fearing for their own lives, worried that they too would be enslaved for a handful of silver. The brothers, as we come to this scene, have been forced to reckon at last with the past, with what they've done, with how they've acted, and with how they should respond now in a similar situation. And this isn't uh, being, uh, this isn't Joseph being petty or vindictive in setting this up. It's actually uh, the story unfolding as an act of grace. So the brothers have this opportunity in a moment to decide whether they want to repeat the mistakes of the past or choose a new way. I can tell you there are many mistakes I've made in the past where I wish I'd been offered a choice later on to do something differently. And the choice for the brothers is this, are they going to respond to their circumstances with bitterness and selfishness, looking out only for themselves? Will they abandon their father's beloved son, Benjamin, in this case, to further themselves just as they did Joseph all those years ago? And in the story, what happens is they're standing there before Joseph, someone they've wronged, someone they don't even recognize in his new position of authority in Egypt, someone with the authority to condemn them. But this time, they respond rightly. One of the brothers, Judah, steps forward. He offers himself in Benjamin's place. He speaks of his father's love for Benjamin, not with envy, as they did at the start, but with humility, offering to stand in the gap, to take on any debt so that his brother might go free. And it's a significant moment. If you follow the story, Judah is not a good guy. In fact, he's the one who in the first place suggests selling Joseph into slavery in order that he might be able to personally profit from Joseph's disappearance. We get another story in Genesis chapter 38 of how Judah is humiliated. He's caught in hypocrisy and immorality. He's held to account for his mistreatment of others. And yet in this moment, as the story comes full circle again, Judah is the one who steps forward, who offers 
himself as a substitute for the guilty one. Something's changed. And that's the point we come to at the start of the passage that Anne has just read out for us. Joseph, who for three chapters has hidden his identity, hidden his reaction to his brother's appearance, hears this. It's at this moment that he can't hide himself any longer. He bursts into tears. He declares himself as the brother that they had sold into slavery all those years ago, yet not holding it against them. He demonstrates his forgiveness in how he embraces them, how he invites them to come and live with him, securing the future of the family in a time of famine, offering security and peace. And there's this wonderful moment of reconciliation as he embraces his stunned and amazed family. So what can we learn from this story? See, as we've seen right the way through this story of Joseph, the invitation from his life isn't simply for us to read it and think, oh, that was nice. That was a good story. Um, isn't it good they're all friends again at the end? Isn't it nice there's a happy ending uh, to this kind of long story we've been looking at together? No, the invitation throughout has been for us to see how the Bible speaks to us in the unique moment that we are living through and how the invitation for each of us is to be those who bring life to the world around us. And the main thought I wanna leave us with today is this, bringing life means working for reconciliation in the midst of brokenness. See, Joseph faced a broken situation. And if you read through the whole of Genesis, that's the message that comes through again and again, that what we need, that what the world is crying out for is someone who is capable of bringing wholeness and healing to a world that is so often bitterly broken. And yet everyone we meet in the story fails. Everyone we meet is beset with flaws that rather than bringing reconciliation, deepen divisions and lead humanity further into pain and conflict and mess. And as we look around us at our world today, isn't it more that way than ever? Brokenness and bitterness are everywhere in our society and around our world, but they're also everywhere in our own lives. When I look at my own life, when I humbly come to God and ask him to speak to me, I can't help but see the ways in which I, like the brothers, have acted out of pride and envy, how I've hurt others by how I've gone after my own best, how I've been blind to the suffering of those around me. And particularly over the last year, I found that becoming more and more prominent whether it's conversations with friends around racial justice, whether it's the ways in which uh, our systems and structures of power exploit the poor at home and around the world for even things like the food we eat and the clothes we wear, how the natural world given to us is being ripped apart day by day. 
our world and our lives are broken. And I believe that God is calling us in this moment to be like Joseph in standing for something different, in working for reconciliation in the midst of brokenness. And I'm not going to pretend that this is something that I've got down. I'm very aware of my own weakness, of my own privilege, even in being able to talk about this. But it's because of that that I know I need to come with humility and say in the midst of the brokenness in me and in the world, God, would you move? God, would you heal and challenge and change and bring life here in and through me? And I think Joseph gives us some principles that can really help us with this. See, first of all, he recognises the reality. We see that in verse four. He levels with his brothers. This is what you have done to me. Things are not as they should be. That hurts. And we need to be honest about that. We've all known that in the last year with the loss of so many people, so many things that we love. Perhaps for some of us, there are things that we've done or things that have been done to us that just cut deeply, which have left scars. I'm not here to offer a quick fix in 20 minutes, but the Bible is full of stories just like ours. Stories of what it is to wrestle with the pain and suffering and sin in ourselves and in others and in our world. In fact, the Bible is way more honest about all of that than we often are. Second thing Joseph does is he keeps God at the center. That comes through again and again in the passage. Verse five, it was God who sent me here. Verse seven, God has sent me ahead of you. Verse eight, God is the one who's put me in this position in order to bring life. How does Joseph do that? The kind of faith that sees God at work, even in the midst of suffering, doesn't spring from nowhere. In his hardest times, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into jail, abandoned and forgotten, Joseph perseveres in keeping God at the center. It's an active choice for him to come to him, not allowing himself, as Adrian spoke about last week, to be defined by what's been done to him, but by whose he is. Knowing his relationship with God at the core, the central sustaining feature of his life, whatever his circumstances. Thirdly, he creates a path to reconciliation. African-American theologian Thabati Anyabwile highlights how two heart works are needed for reconciliation. There's the heart work that we do to ready ourselves to forgive, even when those who have wronged us aren't yet ready to ask to be forgiven. It's what Joseph does in the long years before he sees his brothers again, a posture, an attitude of being ready to forgive, whatever the response might be. And that's a hard work. Batty writes about 
his own experiences of racism and how it was coming to that place that enabled him to find a way to freedom. I'm not going to pretend that that's a position I've often been put in. I recognise that more often than not, I'm the perpetrator of injustice in the world rather than its victim. And so there's a second heart work that needs to be done of those who have done wrong to ready ourselves to confess sin and work at repentance, even when those we've wronged aren't ready to forgive. It's the space to reckon with the effects of uh, injustice as sin against others, both historical and current. The space Joseph creates for his brothers through his test. It's a slightly unusual way. It's unlikely we'll go about it in the way that Joseph did. But both heart postures are needed for true relational reconciliation. But equally, Joseph knows that it's not enough to embrace and then go their separate ways. That actually his family, this family had been called to be a light to the nations that reveal something about the wonder of who God is. And so fourthly, he commits himself to the long road, to practically pursuing ongoing reconciliation, which starts for him by providing for his family so they can come and live with him in Egypt. And this is the stage that we uh, so often can skip over. Facing up to the long-term effects of injustice and committing to embedding repentance as a core practice in our life, to listening and learning, to making restitution and living with accountability, to having uncomfortable conversations and fronting up to consequences. But if we are to pursue ongoing reconciliation in the church and in the world, and first of all, in our own lives, if we're to be like Joseph in bringing life that changes the church and maybe even impacts the world, to help build a society that doesn't just reduce the prevalence of bad things, but creates the conditions for everyone to flourish. This is the long work we need to commit ourselves to. This is exactly what Jesus talks about when he says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We've sung about that already, the wonder of what it is to know first and foremost as the core of our identity, whose we are. That God is the one who has brought us to himself, who now speaks his word over us, a word of belonging, a word of hope, a word of identity. And that out of that place, Jesus says, we go out to become peacemakers. We go out to recognize the reality of the brokenness around us, both in our personal relationships and in our society and we allow God to shape our response. And while Joseph can help us with this, his life is only ever a shadow of the one who is to come. As Judah 
steps forward, offering to bear the weight of his brother's guilt. He reflects his descendant to come, Jesus, the lion of Judah, the true king who comes to do what nobody in the book of Genesis and nobody in the 21st century can do, to bear the weight and bear the cost of the brokenness in our world and in ourselves and make a way for healing. Because ultimately there can be no reconciliation without a cost being borne and a price being paid. Jesus is the one betrayed, sold for silver coins, sent into exile, the one who becomes the one who completes the ultimate act that Joseph describes in Genesis chapter 50. God taking what was intended for harm and working despite it and in it and through it for good. This is what Jesus does. On the cross, we see this man carrying the full weight of sin and suffering and injustice. Every fractured relationship that we find within ourselves and between us and God and between us and others. And he carries it with him to the cross and puts it to death there in order that we might know that everything that was broken in the fall has been made whole in his broken body. That every part of shame and guilt that we've been carrying is dealt with as the only guiltless man dies in the most shameful way humanity could invent. And then he rises again. The birth of a new creation inaugurated in the midst of the brokenness of the old in order that we might know hope now and in the future that God has committed himself to the ultimate reconciliation of this world and that he's begun that now in and through us. This is good news for hurting broken people like me, maybe like you. People who have been wronged and people who have done wrong. No matter what your story has been, in Jesus, you find one who understands, one who walks it with you, one who knows what it's like, and one who invites you now to come and receive his new life to come and take hold by faith of what he has already done, what he's already accomplished through his life, death and resurrection, to grasp the magnitude of what God has done and is doing and to join him in his work. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and now we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Out of the gift we have received, we reflect the reconciling character and nature of God by recognizing reality, by keeping him at the center, 
by creating paths to reconciliation and committing to the hard work of the long road. And in doing so, God makes his appeal through us to the world. God's desire is the church would be so good at this stuff that the whole world has to take notice. You know, the whole world is not falling over itself at the moment to wonder at how the church is displaying the beauty of reconciliation and wholeness being found in the midst of brokenness. But it can be. It can start with us. God proclaims his coming kingdom through us. In a moment, we're going to worship to respond. But I'd encourage us not to leave this here. I believe God wants to meet us in this moment, to put his finger on areas in our lives where we need to respond. Where we need to start that heart work of forgiveness and repentance. Whether that's in broken personal relationships that we know can't go on like they have, whether it's as how we're caught up in systems and structures of injustice that we just know we need to make a change. Whether it's hurt that's been done to us that we've been living with for years that we need to invite God into and allow him to bring healing and reconciliation, areas of our life that we've walled off from him. God wants to come to us in this moment. He wants to bring his life to us, that we might bring it to the world. This is a moment as we come to Jesus to recognize our weakness and our need of him and to receive him again as our savior, as our king, as the one who brings life. So why don't we sing again? together. And as we do, allow God to meet with you in this place. Allow him to speak to you. and Allow him to begin that work in you of new life, of reconciliation in the midst of brokenness.